Thank you for tuning in to Bonsai Wire. This week, Michael and Jonas do a phone interview with Colin Lewis. Sit back and enjoy. Okay, everybody, we're talking with Colin Lewis, erstwhile member of the United Kingdom and now from the windy and somewhat uh, stormy at the moment coast of Maine. Is that, is that correct? Do you have a storm uh, going it's, through it's, there? It's a coming. Uh, we originally wow. expected it this afternoon, but it's going to be a, an all-nighter. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. What's the name of this one? Oh, God, it's unpronounceable. Isaiah. Yes, yes, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. Good heavens. And how, how long have you lived there? I've lived in Maine 10 years now. 10 years? No, I tell a lie, 12. Oh. 12 years. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. About so I kind of consider, I consider been... myself an adopted Mainer. Uh, <laughs> what, um, we want to primarily ask questions about bonsai, but, but just for a little bit of background, what, what did, uh, make you want to live with a bunch of Yankees? What, uh, what was the trigger there? Uh, well, uh, after an acrimonious divorce, I had to find somewhere to live, preferably somewhere that put a large ocean between me and the ex-wife. Ah. And uh, I, had, I already had a lot of work over here. I had a three-month tour lined up. I had a contract at the Arnold Arboretum to curate the uh, Lars Anderson collection. Oh, and yeah, I had I an know. offer of accommodation, so oh. it was a no-brainer, really. Yeah, right. And I right. could see you guys needed help on the East Coast, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was actually one of my questions. I was thinking, what were the kind of things you noticed about the bonsai community over here versus at home? Way behind. Hmm. Decades behind. It was... Uh, it was a real shock because in the UK, at least, I mean, in Europe, uh, up until the late 90s, every convention had the mandatory American headliner. Mm -hmm. And one got the impression that bonsai on the East Coast, at least, was way ahead of bonsai anywhere else. And I came over and I found out that that actually was not the case. Um, uh, I'm going to be very careful how I put this, but um, it was pretty crap. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's, that's probably the, the, the kindest thing I can say. Now, it, there, there was no, um, everyone wanted to make very poor imitations of Japanese bonsai. They wanted to follow the rules um, as laid down by somebody or other. I have no idea who. Uh, well, there just there just wasn't the right attitude to achieve better bonsai. It was all done on the cheap and all done with a sort of a that'll do kind of attitude. Huh, yeah. So well, I, I think I, you're onto something. I'd love to hear what makes an imitation a poor imitation of a Japanese trick. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, not a good imitation. <laughs> Look, <laughs> everywhere, everywhere has its own kind of signature style, or not everywhere, but most places have a, most countries, most cultures have a, a signature, a visual signature in their bonsai that is recognizable to people who have been aware of them for a while. You know, in Europe, you can tell an Italian tree from a German tree, from a Spanish tree, from a British tree. You, you can just tell. Um, and I probably couldn't put my finger on what it is, but there's just, 
just something about it. Um, and I've said this in the past to people, and I've been explaining this, that if you went to a European exhibition and there was a whole bunch of American trees in that exhibition as well, you would go through and recognize all the European trees because of that national signature and the American tree. And I'm speaking West, uh, sorry, East Coast, uh -huh. purely East Coast. You know, the West Coast is a different country as far as bonsai is concerned. But if you had a bunch of East Coast trees in that European exhibition, you would recognize those because they look like poor imitations of Japanese bonsai in their style. The people are trying to achieve what the Japanese achieve with uh, old trees over decades, but they're trying to do it with, with small things in flower pots. Hmm. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's a very difficult thing to explain you know, without some sort of visual aid, but... Uh, yeah. Well, so how did you of, fix that of, then? A lack of imagination. Well, precisely by telling people, use your imagination. You know, I, I banned questions that included phrases like, aren't you supposed to? Uh, is it okay to do this? Uh, you know, anything's okay. Your only thing you're supposed to do is to make your tree look really cool. <laughs> um, and I'm a big subscriber to that old... John Marker, God bless him. That wonderful phrase, uh, piece of advice, don't try to make your tree look like a bonsai, try to make your bonsai look like a tree. Yeah, that's a great phrase. I love that. Too. It is, and I, I yeah. stick by that now. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that I think, one of the turns that bonsai has taken in the last decade or decade and a half that is detrimental to its progress. Let me um, cut in here just a second. I think we're, yeah. we're, we're going to have to de um, delete what I'm about to say, but we're getting some, some feedback or maybe it sounds like you're rubbing two spoons together or something. That mic is really uh, a powerful one <laughs> that you're wearing. Huh. <laughs> so if there's anything huh. that's rubbing against, or if you're moving something around, we, we can hear it. Well, it could be rubbing against my shirt. That's about That all. might be it. Yeah, if you got a button or something, something is clicking or moving. Oh, I'm going to take the shirt off. That that's I I'm naked. Yep, that's let's, extreme. Let's yeah, <laughs> we chose an audio call on purpose. So. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> we right. might need to leave this in, Michael. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Sure. Right. sure. Great. Now, if it still rubs, I'm going to get a sore nipple. But there you go. <laughs> um, where were we? Oh yes, one of the things that has. One of the developments in bonsai over the last decade and a half or so is that every tree that is produced in demonstrations and, and workshops and every, everything you see, you know, the itinerant bonsai rock and roll stars slapping up on Facebook and Instagram, they all look the same. Yeah. Hmm. They're the same shape. Hmm. And none of them look like trees. Huh. You know, the, the, the challenge seems to be with a piece of, a fantastic piece of raw material, not how to make this into a unique emotive image of a tree or a tree-like being, but it is to make it look like a, the last bonsai that you made, to make you look like every other bonsai. <laughs> and I could draw, you know, I could, I could yeah. draw you a picture of the next three demonstration trees that are gonna be done. 
and probably go through a sequence of how they're going to achieve that, you know? Yeah. Artist so, by artist, you could pick it out. Yeah. Well, you yeah, yeah. Do you First think this is a problem of like a like a goal? Uh, is it a lack of a goal, um, or or is it kind of an assumptive goal that that everybody kind of takes on, like an assumption that everybody's going to live in uh, suburbia or something of that nature? Oh, it's almost sinister than that. It's just ego. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. I mean, uh-huh. you know, someone, someone uh-huh. gets up on stage with a piece of material. Uh-huh. They're given three or four hours to to turn it into. Um, what appears to be a work of art. Yeah. Let's say they've got three hours. Okay, 45 minutes, dead wood. 45 yeah. minutes selecting buds and branches. 90 minutes wiring, there's your job. Always start off with tilting the pot over, so anywhere between 30 and 45 degrees. So that where that trunk forks, you've got a branch and you've got a trunk line. That's how it starts. And once you do that, you're limited to having that heavy, low branch with a dome on top. Now, give that person a few days to think about other ideas, and they could turn up and produce something really remarkable, really stunning and memorable, something unique. You know, I was, I was told by a former student of yours that you Uh-oh. had never had uh, any opinions about demos. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't um, believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's he meant the reverse. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, two, there's two kinds of demos. There's that kind, um, which is the easy way out. Organizers of events, just grab a bit of material, stick it up on the stage. There you go. You've got three hours. Do your thing. Um, right. Whereas the other kind of demo is when someone comes along and actually demonstrates a principle, a technique, yeah. um, gives yeah. a seminar on something. That's, yeah. that's important. That's a learning opportunity. Yes. But the other thing, it's, it's like a piece of stand-up, that's all. Yeah. yeah. You will uh, believe me when I mention that I once, after a demonstration, overheard in a bathroom, I kid you not, well, it doesn't <laughs> matter if the tree lives, it's a demonstration. Oh no! You oh, didn't. Yeah. Somebody it's, said it's that. To, it's there to. It's yeah. It, I actually heard this in the wild. Like, oh well, it, it was a demonstration. We were there to learn, and I just thought, learn how to kill a tree. Well, oh. there you go. Yeah. Oh. I've seen a number of demos where we left a hundred percent assured the tree was dead, and it did die. Wow. Well, my first trip to the states, nineteen ninety-eight. I was in a club in, I think it was Hartford, Connecticut, and there was a. a tacky Chinese ale, one of these curly-whirly things uh, mm-hmm. that came over uh, late 90s, the uh, sort of semi-cascade Chinese elm with the exposed roots. Mm. So I did a bit of a number on that, and I made it look like a little tree, and it was in a, in a nursery pot. And then the, the entire club said, no, you haven't finished until you repot it. Oh. Well, we've got no soil, <laughs> and we've got no pot. Well, use the same soil. And we've still got no... In the end, someone dashed out and got a trash can lid. Oh, you're kidding. That we used to repot this tree in because it had to be repotted. Um, and it was probably that that kind of sowed the seed of my impression of bonsai on the east coast of the United <laughs> States because, it, you know, you, you, you get thrown in jail for saying that sort of thing in England. 
Oh gosh. So that wow. was the seed of your discontent. That, uh, it was that, a seed that of one. it, I think. Wow. Yeah. So have you ever since uh, re refused to do a demo? Um, actually, I did refuse to do a demo on that same trip. <laughs> Uh, uh, at Mid-Atlantic, the material that they supplied was was a 30-inch tall straight trunk with a couple of branches on the top. Again, a Chinese elm. And the bottom third of the trunk was corky bark and the top was smooth. So I cut through the trunk at the top of the, uh, I don't know, 10-inch piece with, with mature bark and spent the next the rest of the two hours with a flip chart explaining how you develop deciduous bonsai from a straight trunk that's been chopped across the top. So, I mean, I didn't demonstrate on the tree, but hmm. so I kind of refused to do that, but I filled the time. Yeah. It's changed a lot, though. It's changed a lot. Although not fast enough. Yeah, yeah. So how, what, what's your impression now? I mean, in terms of, you said, uh, you know, decades behind when you, um, when you first came to the States, what's, what, what are your yeah. impressions right now? Um, well, the way, again, the East Coast and the West Coast are two entirely separate countries as far as bonsai is concerned. I mean, over on the West Coast, it's like Europe. The, the density, the level of activity, um, the events, the, the the number of people, the, the enthusiasm level, it's 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 as good as Europe. Uh, hmm. Europe as a whole, you know. whereas on the East Coast, it's 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 still not up to that level. It just and I, it's very very hard to to pinpoint why. Hmm. Uh, climate could be a reason. Um, hmm. It's we, a slower journey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do get much, much more severe winters than you get on the yes. West Coast. That that really adds. Yeah, I can I can easily do e even this far north here in Portland, Oregon. Um, I can I can add a year every two years, uh, given the length of the growing season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. more like the UK on on the West Coast. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah. The only place I have ever seen. Good, healthy English elms growing it was in the United States. Is in that strip of um, sort of parkland, that green strip outside uh, the Museum of Art. Hmm. Um, if yeah. You oh, yeah. The Museum of Art and turn right and go up to where they have that sort of farmers market. Yes. There's a there's a stand of three or four English elms in there. They're that are strong and healthy and doing what they should do. And it was, it was just unbelievable to see them there. Hmm. Uh, it's, and it's the climate, I'm sure. It's, it's the, the only place, of, one yeah. of the only places where they can grow freely. Yeah, most things do really well. Um, you know, we can do just about everything but citrus. And uh, our, our main problems are fungus up here. We can, um, um, most things are healthy, but then you can sometimes grow a, you know, a yard of growth that you can't do elsewhere, but then half of it you lose from a fungus. Or <laughs> yeah, like that's, that. yeah, that's the woods, I think. I've got a similar problem here. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I live in the woods and uh, everything that, you know, you look around the woods, there's a lot of dead trees. And so anything that's killing those things is trying to kill mine as well. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. I lost, uh, oh, this will break your heart, Mike. I lost 400 chochubai. 
Oh, good heavens. Yep. Oh, wow. I have, some of them were 12-year-old wool oh. cuttings oh, from a mother gosh. plant. The mother plant, was it looked like a hedgehog. It had so many trunks. It was wonderful. Big tangle, knot oh. of roots at the base. Oh. And, and it was a hedgehog. And some fungus that uh, even three attempts, the, the local extension wasn't able to identify. Oh. Something took the lot. And something with very similar symptoms killed all my Japanese maples. Really? Um, so, oh, yes. Some wonderful Japanese wow. maples. Hmm. And then it proceeded to kill an ancient hedge maple and an even older native red maple. So... Maples are out of the question as far as I'm concerned now. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's bleak. Yeah, that is. Now, what are you going to do? You know, it, it's, yeah. you get immune to it, you know, to the losses. Yeah, that part, that's true. You, yeah. I, brought a, mm -hmm. I brought a whole yeah. bunch of trees over from England. Two of mm. them survived. I must have brought a dozen over. Mm. All the best ones. All the mm. best ones. One by one, just watch them deteriorate it's a the climate uh, yep yep yeah, so cha different change in location so, is so difficult yeah i moved from new york to arizona lost you know yeah wild oh. trees doing that and then moving from arizona to portland same problem <laughs> pretty drastic pretty <laughs> very very drastic yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yep. yeah ironically the one of the two trees that survived is uh, one of the first I ever grew, and that's an English elm. And uh, it almost died. And I've, I've only just, the last three years, got the hang of how to overwinter it, when to bring it out, and yeah. you know, how to baby it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's happier here than it was in Massachusetts, that's for sure. Hmm. Just got hmm. too hot there. I see, yeah. Yeah. So talk us through it. What's it like growing bonsai in Maine? I don't have seasons yeah. where I live in Northern California. So I'm, I'm just hell. very curious. <laughs> it's hell. Um, it's, you, you, you have to adapt. The, the worst part isn't the, the, the cold in winter because the trees that are out in the hoop house, they, they can take the cold. The others, I've, I've got a little... Uh, temperature controlled cabinet that I keep them in until you know where they don't get below freezing. Um, the worst part is spring. Every fiber in my body tells me that by the end of March, you're planting your vegetable seeds and the, the buds are starting to swell. And then mid to late April, you, you, the leaves start coming out and your seedlings are popping up. Uh -uh, not here. You've got another six to eight weeks to go. No. And it, it's spring, there's no such thing as a spring it, in so far as there's a gradual transition from winter to summer. Hmm. What happens is you get a whole bunch of days that are winter, and then you get a summer day, and then it's back to winter for a week, and then you get two summer days, and then it's back to winter for another week. And then gradually over a period of time, the number of summer days you get increases and the number of freezing cold winter days you get decreases. And that's what passes for spring. You know, there, there, are, no, there are very, very few typically nice spring days, you know. Mm. Do you do a lot of the dance where you move trees in and out after repotting? No. No, I never have done. I mm. never have done. I repot a tree, stick it out on the bench, and that's it. 
Hmm. Well, it's, no, that's a lie. Uh, in England, I did that. <laughs> here they go. <laughs> got a greenhouse? Here here yeah, here they go yeah. back in the hoop house. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Because you've got to start so early repotting that yeah. there nice. really is a risk if you put them out. Yeah. Yeah. Any um, kind of a continental climate, the, the greenhouse is such a benefit, isn't it? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Um, what, in fact, back in England, I, I've actually put uh, deciduous trees out on the bench after repotting and I, I remember on one occasion i put them in a cat litter tray it was easier to carry and it rained for a couple of days and then it froze and for a couple of days these trees that had just been repotted had their roots in a solid block of ice oh, wow they woke up and didn't miss a beat you're kidding no, oh, wow. no it, 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 it's i'm not sure whether that advice is really absolutely necessary or whether it's just a belt and suspenders thing <laughs> but i'll always take the easy way out so oh wow well and once, now, my, tree, once, once it, my trees go yeah. out in the spring they uh -huh. stay out and they go out earlier than most people's so i like them to wake up outside not inside yeah i was going to yeah. ask if you have a hardening off process that you follow yeah uh well it's, it's the natural one you know if it you, sounds like if, you, if, you, if you if your trees leaf out you know, maples, elms start leafing out in a greenhouse. You've got a problem when you put them out in this part of the country. Yep. You know, it's a, in any part of the country, you've got to harden them off. I put them out before the buds open every time. Ah. So the, those buds don't open until the weather is ready, is telling the trees that, it, that it's time for them to open. And just let them come out with, a, with nature. And I think that's by far the best way. It's easiest. <laughs> yeah. Do you get a lot of hail where you are? Um, not a lot. Oh, okay. No. <clears throat> we do get a lot of snow. A heck of a lot of snow. Sometimes. Um, and this time of year, we get a lot of rain. Mm -hmm. But uh, hail is not... No, it's, it's not... I don't think it's hot enough for hail. Or for yeah. a lot of it. I mean, yeah, we do get it sometimes, but... Not uh, not the sort of hail that you get down in Texas. No. Yeah, the yeah, interior of the country is, is pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge. And I, yeah, this last month, we've had two thirds of the time it's been up in the high 90s, mid to high 90s, mm -hmm. which, is a, which is in itself a challenge, you know. It's, and I think this is what um, what a lot of trees in containers find difficult is the extremes of hot and cold that they have to go through every year. Yeah. Do you do you work with natives? Have you have you had um, uh, different experiences with natives versus uh, like the English elm or Japanese? Um, I do. Uh, there are very very few native broadleaved trees that are suitable um the native red maple rubrum is is mm. it's a beautiful tree uh the leaves are large so you need to have a fairly large bonsai it's not going to the leaves are not going to reduce uh to the same extent as a trident maple for example um but conifers yeah uh, red spruce um 
Nice native juniper in this part of the world isn't uh, particularly clever. The native larch <laughs> is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Native larch yeah. is good. Yeah. Um, a little bit more straggly than Japanese or European larch, but it's a larch and it does what larches do. So, you know, yeah. it's predictable, it's cooperative, uh, and it's abundant too. Yeah, hardy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Very, yeah. very, very. Yeah. <coughs> do you ever leave those um, out uh, th throughout the year? Um, I, I know, I, well, in Japan, at least, you could often find, you know, large forests of azo spruce just left out on the slab. They don't even protect them. Even where I was studying, well, which was incredibly cold. Do you do that with large? Uh, you could do. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's some of the things I've got in pots now that are, have been in the ground for a year or two. And obviously, they stay outside. Mm -hmm. uh, but the ground freezes solid down to two feet. But um, once they're in a pot, I tend to put them away. Yeah. And, I, you know, the, one of the reasons is because I can, I can get into the cold frame and look at them. Hmm. You know, when they're under three feet of snow, you forget about them until the snow goes. Right. And I, di I did leave a whole bunch of um, material out one year. And I put all these, you know, the uh, windbreaks around them and so on. They're on a wooden deck in the nursery area. Yeah. And I thought, you know, they're going to be fine. Larch, spruce, the whole, everything native, everything native to Maine. But the snow fell on them and the snow melted and the snow, and, the, and it refroze and the ice sunk and it ripped all the branches off them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be a mess. We won't do that again. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> it turned a few formal uprights into Bunjin. That's what it's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, melting that's, snow is terrible. That's as mm. bad as a, as a hailstorm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd like to pivot if, if that's all right and, uh, and get you to talk a little bit about aesthetics. I, I, I'm really curious what your early influences were, just for starters. Ah. Well, Peter Adams. Oh yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Who today is underestimated. He does mm. not receive the credit that he deserves. He was like a, a major, major influence in Europe. And yeah. he wrote a book. His first book, I think, was called Successful Bonsai Growing. I have that which one. Was a, mm -hmm. Which was yeah. a, a tester, uh, a market tester. And then the publisher, Ward Lockett, wrote it. Ah, yes, there's a market for books on bonsai. Uh, then he did The Art of Bonsai. And that, to me, was a game changer. Hmm. Because that started talking about bonsai in aesthetic terms. When was that? Not as, when was that published? Uh, Mid-70s. Okay. Um, yep. Maybe I can tell you... No, I... <sighs> Looking through the library. Do we have me back? <laughs> I, I got up to walk across the room to find a book and pull the thing out of my phone. Oh, yep, yep, you're back. Yep, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, no, I can't tell you exactly. It was, I think it was it's not important. 76, 77. Yeah. In fact, one of the trees hmm. that are featured in that book, it's a shimpaku. And it's in the section where he had photographs of trees that he'd got in from Japan, like little black and white photographs. 
and then a diagram of, of the aesthetic proportions and how the tree could develop and so on. Yeah. And I've got that tree here now. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's a tree with a long story, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's been halfway around the world anyway. Um, and it, oh remarkably, it, it's been through several different designs. Um, somewhere I've got some photographs of uh, uh, how it looked between Peter Adams and me when it was totally different. Yeah. And it's been through several different designs since I've had it. And ironically, it now looks more like Peter Adams' original concept than it ever has. Uh -huh. So it's... Uh, oh, man. So you were quite a kind of a, a student. Were you ever... Uh, did you ever study with him? Were you a protege of his? I, I lived close by to him. Um, I, oh. I went down there fairly often to, to mm. see him. I, mm. I did a sort of a paid workshop once. And he dumped a little juniper in front of everybody, half a dozen of us. Huh. And then he said, he said to me, he said, you've done this before, haven't you? <laughs> I said, yeah. And from that point on, I just sort of go down and help out and hang and stuff. But sometimes when you turned up, you got the impression that you were definitely not welcome. <laughs> and other times it was, it was totally the opposite. But, and then there was Dan Barton. Who was a, yep. a big influence as well. Ah. Um, his sense of design, um, his sense of precision. He got a, a very kind of yes. precise, elegant kind of approach to his trees. Yep. <clears throat> so he was, a, he was, and he was very encouraging as well. Hmm. Uh, there was a point. I mean, I, I cut my teeth on deciduous trees on English elm, in fact. And I'd never touched a pine. And I, I was talking to Dan once. I said, Dad, you don't have any pines. I said, you know, I don't know about pines. I don't understand pines. And he shut me down and you know, gave me the basics. And he said, it's that easy. I said, fine, I'll do it then. You know? so, yeah, those days were different, you see. In those days... People like Peter Adams, Dan Barton, uh, later on me and, uh, and others, you didn't charge people for advice. You shared the knowledge. Huh. You know, because it, it wasn't so long ago when you were, when you were scratching around for knowledge. Um, there were, the idea of going to, to study and train in Japan was like, you're kidding. They, they just wouldn't let you. Uh, you know, we're going back now into the... Gosh, 80s, early 80s, mid-80s. No, before then. Um, and, it, you know, it was... Everyone was happy to share the knowledge. But that seems to have changed at some point. Uh, I mean, you know, we've all got to make a living. But, um, and now the knowledge is shared by those without it on internet forums and so on, which, which is my, which is my real, my, my real pet hate. I heard that internet. from another student. You never comment about yeah. that at all. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, internet bonsai forums. No. Uh, How many did you start? I never no. started. Any. I used to be, I used to be did a you? member of, um, uh, IBC, uh, IBC, uh -huh. yeah, uh, in uh -huh. the nineties. Uh -huh. 
when it was peopled by the good old chaps like uh, Rainer Goebbels and Ernie oh, yeah. Quo and so on. Oh yeah, Ernie. And I would yeah. I would sit in my office at one thirty in the morning, <laughs> talk, talking to these guys who just had their dinner. You know. Oh my gosh. And it was it was not only was it a social occasion, but these guys have been growing bonsai since God was an apprentice. They knew what they were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that changed, and and Facebook did, uh, you know, kind of made it even worse. Hmm. There was a who was it now? Um, Andy Rutledge. Does that name ring a bell? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, definitely. Sure. Andy. He Texas. was an early early yeah. pioneer of internet. Bonsai stuff. That's right. Yes. Yes. He and is. he t he said once that in order to be a, an expert on any subject on the internet, you don't have to know about that subject. You just need to be able to write as if you do. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he was Very absolutely yeah. right. He was absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And speaking yeah, of writing, yeah, yeah, I have. Writing. I have been recommending your books for years as some of the only books that I've recommended in English because books like the Bonsai Survival Manual are on a very short yeah. list of helpful right. starting points for people. Yes. Well, yeah, that was a... Yeah. Is that still available? It's been out of print, <laughs> but I, I keep telling people to look for it. And so there are, there are copies here and there out there. Oh, I've got a spare. <laughs> I'll tell you what is a real it, it, it's a real kind of well it's kind of an accolade and it's also frustrating is that when you see books that you've written that used to be sold for 1995 and they go going for 80 bucks on eBay you know and it, I mean in one sense that's like oh cool you know and the other is why didn't I keep hold of more copies <laughs> you know well, ladies and gentlemen, Colin has one book, so scramble. <laughs> and it's going for at least $81. Yeah, one, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got an extra. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> Bids go up in $100 increments. <laughs> well, so Michael had asked you about aesthetics, and I don't know if Michael knows about this, but I think you're in a good position to talk about bonsai obesity. Um. Uh. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, could you expand on that? Bonsai obesity. Yeah, uh, I found an article that uh, theoretically that, that, yes. you wrote about that yes. exact topic. I do remember that now. Um, it's all about trunks being disproportionately fat, I think. Exactly. Which and is a fad. You were, yeah, you were lamenting a lack of elegance. And yes. I think a lot yeah. of people feel the, the exact same way about that. There's... It actually harks back to what I was saying earlier about the uh, every every demonstration tree looking the same. You can get you get these wonderful heavy trunks with beautiful deadwood patterns and crooked, interesting branches, and then all that interest is covered up by a heavy mass of foliage. Hmm. You, you know, when I look at a tree, I see branches. You know, trees mm -hmm. have branches. Uh, and even if you can't, if you were a painter and you were going to paint an oak tree in the middle of a field and you couldn't actually see the branches, you would paint branches because they should be there. 
and it's what tells you it's a tree. It's the artistic license. You'll hint at some branches in there, just, just, just to show that this thing isn't just a solid mass. It's got depth and structure and so on. Mm-hmm. And I, the same should apply to me in bonsai. It, you know, otherwise mm-hmm. it's just a, it's just a, it, it's clever, uh, and there's a lot of ingenuity. Hmm. Do you think? Um, do you think that it, having sort of that mop of of foliage, where you, if you don't see a branch, does it feel like the tree is younger? If if you see some branches, does it sometimes feel a little older? It it is yes, definitely, definitely. If you could see that those the, the branch lines and so on, yes, it does look older. Hmm. Um, in fact, now I do, almost everything I do now is is uh, if not bunjin, it, it it's got a lot of bunjin in it. Um, I studied uh, as a typographic designer. I was going to ask you about type- your background. Yeah, well, back in the day when really? typography was actually designed. Yeah. Wow. You know, before desktop publishing and all that malarkey. Um, and when you're, you know, you're, when you're dealing with letter forms, I mean, I actually designed typefaces at one point. Oh, when wow. you're dealing with letter forms, you're dealing with line. You're dealing with line and proportion. Um, and you've got 26 letters and every one of those letters has to fit comfortably between any combination of any two of the other 25. Oh, wow. So, you know, there's, there's lots of complex things going on there. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. My apprentice's wife does some of this, and she actually did, she created a font for the cover of Bonsai Heresy. It was incredible to watch. It was ah, amazing. Right. Totally, totally amazing. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, um, I used to do a lot of hand lettering as well, you know, when, when there isn't a font for book covers and so on. And so you're, you're always aware of line and curve um, and space. Uh, if you draw the, for example, you draw the letter O, and if the outside isn't totally round, but the inside is, it looks okay. If the outside is totally round, but the inside is a little bit off, it sticks out a mile. You know, it, it, the space huh. is more positive than than the actual black. So, um, you know, th- these things here, yeah, they, they're an influence. They're an influence in my sense of design. I, I yeah. think in a linear way. Huh. When I draw, I draw in a linear way. I don't sort of draw volume or bulk. It's always, it always starts off, at least it starts off with, with line. What's your opinion? Yeah. What's your opinion of doing a drawing before um, before approaching a tree? Do do you find relevance with that idea? If if I'm conducting a workshop and I want to get an idea across to somebody and to sort of give them a blueprint for future development, then a drawing can be useful. Hmm. Um, I think to draw a tree before your own tree before you work on it is, is a bit risky because you may fall into the trap of trying to follow the drawing, not the tree. Yes. Yes. You know, right. And let's face it. If you're trying to do an artistic or an aesthetic discipline, if you can't keep an image in your head long enough 
to, to actually make it a reality on that tree, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. And there's also... You know, you've the, got to have that ability to mm -hmm. visualize and to retain that vision. Right. And, and to adapt it as well as, as a tree... Uh, does right. what it wants to do rather than what you want to do. You right. want to adapt. It's that a vision. conversation, and if if we deny the conversation part, we end up dominating the tree, don't we? Yes. To follow yes. the, the, the the drawing, and the tree yeah. isn't able yeah. to go there. Possibly. So I, I, I think that's. A, yeah. I think it's a bit dangerous. Yes. I think it's a bit dangerous. Yes. Yes. But it, it, as you said, it, there's you know there's some minor instances of utility for it. It may indication toward to others so yes it, it, it's a useful tool mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, i would not i would not employ it and I, I would warn others against employing it as a matter of routine yeah i never saw anyone in japan uh my, my whole time there ever approach a, a pencil or a pen and a paper they, they just don't do that no yeah. it's uh, you know the the there's a lot of things when you want I'll start that again. Uh, ne never buy teeth from a mail order catalogue. It just doesn't work. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> uh, uh, what Great. were we talking about? <laughs> uh, we were talking about drawing, but <laughs> that's right. Um, we got under teeth. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like what you're saying about how you approach the the line-based approach and thinking about it. And I wondered, have you ever come up with any helpful exercises or approaches to teaching elegance or helping people find what, how do they find the lines that appeal to them? Or have you thought about that idea within a teaching <coughs> setting? Well, whether it's a, a sort of group workshop, one-to-one -one or whatever, um, I try to I try to, to to emphasize the fact that you design a tree in the way it grows. You start at the bottom. It starts at ground level and grows up. So you start at ground level. And the one thing that you've got to do first is find the front or the back, whichever. Um, and that starts at ground level. From that point on, you're dealing with line. You're dealing with, you've got a sort of trunk line. And you need to compromise between the best trunk line, um, the best nibari, the best branch placement, and the best branches. Uh, and the, the, you know, all, all of that is to do with line, the branches, the, 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 the trunk line and so on, living veins. Uh, it's all to do with line. Uh, and the, the foliage is held on the ends of the, the branches. And so, the, you know, the foliage is really just the end of the lines. Um, and the lesson, uh, one of the things I've always tried to persuade people to do is start off with deciduous trees. Because that way, when you shape your tree, you are thinking only of line. I like it. You, you've got bare branches. You're only thinking of line. Mm. And... If you spend the first five years of your bonsai career just working on deciduous trees and leaving your conifers to one side to get heavy and dense and ready to work, what you learn is that if a tree looks right with no leaves, if those lines of the branches 
look absolutely beautiful with no leaves, the tree is going to look absolutely beautiful when it's got leaves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so... Creating a skeleton. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you can translate your deciduous uh, awareness of the essential beauty of line, and you translate that into conifers, you stop thinking about the, the periphery, the overall silhouette of the tree and so on, and you start thinking about the lines of the branches and getting those correct, you're then left with, a, I think, a much more elegant tree. Because you're so, you're so proud and enamored with these wonderful branch lines that you tend to expose them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that leads to elegance. Which is, as you said, the exact opposite of a conifer, which begins with obfuscation as the foliage is always <laughs> in the act of covering some part of the tree. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And then there's well, the... I think my tree, the foliage is covering less of the tree than in most people's. Yeah, awesome. mm-hmm. and did you did you find there's there's definitely kind of a, a a learning balance there, right? Of how much you can leave to keep the tree happy, and and, and what you're doing aesthetically. Uh, there is. Um, I've learned to my displeasure that you cannot push trees as hard in this part of the world as you can back in the old country. Mm. Um, I've I. Ashamed to say, I've killed a number of native white spruce through impatience. Mm-hmm. Um, not giving them two or three years to recover between operations. You know, like uh, like hemlock. If you mess with, if you if you wire and repot a hemlock, and you, at the same time you killed it. Mm-hmm. And white spruce are kind of like that. They're, they're, um, and you know what? Getting older, you get more impatient. <laughs> you want your results quicker uh-huh. because you, you're you're yeah. not sure. You know, fifteen years? No, I don't think so. You know, it's it's it, there mm-hmm. is, now. I don't care, but until a year or so ago, um, I felt an immense pressure to push things quicker to get results quicker. Mm. Um, probably because of there's a sort of a an egotistic competition. Mm as well, you know. Hmm. I didn't show at the National last time because I had nothing that I was pleased enough with to offer. Uh, hmm. And I think, you know, it's almost as if, sometimes it's like you know, people will throw all their effort and all their money at one particular tree so they can show it at the National. And uh, that's another thing that's changed, you know. Back in the old day, as you guys will be saying one of these days, mm-hmm. back in the old days, <laughs> when, when you went to a bonsai exhibition, uh, in Europe at least, you know, whether it's local, national, international, what you look at, you're looking at examples of what the exhibitors can do, what they've done. When you go to an exhibition now, and it's the same over there as here, you're seeing examples of what the exhibitors can afford and who they can afford, not what they can do. And I lament that change. It's inevitable. 
um, but I lament it, and I think it's causing a, a rift. It, no, that's not the right word. Um, it's causing a bit of a cleavage, which is also not the right word, but it's a much nicer one, um, between those who can afford to buy an Austin Heitzman stand, uh, who can afford to buy a fantastic piece of material from, from Todd or from, from Randy Knight, and who can pay someone like yourselves to come along and, and work the tree for them. And people who just who may be way more talented, hmm. may be capable of producing mm -hmm. fantastic masterpiece bonsai, but they never get the exposure, they never get the chance, because they're, they're cut out by the more lucrative side of, the, of, of bonsai. Hmm. Uh, it, it, it's a shame. Um, and it, I think it's, uh, as I say, it's, it's inevitable, but it's a shame. And since I retired now, uh, if someone wants to come to me to learn bonsai, all they've got to do is come. That's it. You know, they're going to have to pay. Um, they're going to have to help me weed the garden, move a few heavy bits of stuff. And, you know, depending on the time of year, there might be weed in the vegetable garden or blowing leaves or something. <laughs> but I've, I've gone yeah. right back to the way it was 35 years ago when you share the knowledge, yeah. you know? Mm. Uh, you come to me, I'll teach you bonsai. What do you do for a living that I can learn from you? Oh. You know, that's, that's, that's the way I'm doing it now. Well, hats off to you. Wow. Um, I get, get plenty. I get lots of help. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that calls to mind the story I've been wanting to ask you for years, which is I heard that there was an occasion where you ask students to bring their worst tree and their best oh, tree yeah. to a class. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Do, yes. Do, do, do say a little more about this story. <laughs> that, well, that was a, that was a, uh, I used to run the, the school from several different venues. I had five, I think, different venues up and down the eastern half of the, of the United States. And every so often we'd have a, uh, uh, bring a certain kind of tree, you know, like bring your best tree in. And every, everyone had to place their tree on a turntable and everyone in the group had to comment on that tree, some sort of critique. Nobody was allowed to repeat what somebody else has said. Hmm. Uh, and I set myself the challenge of going last. <laughs> and that was, that was an interesting thing because you know, different people... You, you change the order that people co uh, commented each time a tree went up there, you know, so <laughs> poor guy who went last only goes last once. Um, and that worked well. And then one day I had a, a, a thought and I, you know, people tend to hang on to really dreadful pieces of plant life out of sentiment. So <laughs> uh, I said to everyone, yeah, bring your worst tree. And I did this in every group. Bring in your worst tree. And so they brought in their worst tree. And, and they were pretty bad. And then I dragged a big trash barrel into the middle of the room. And I oh, said, wow. throw them in there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> throw them in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, why have you got this? If it's your, by throwing this in the trash barrel, you've immediately improved the general level of your collection. 
you know? Especially if and, it's only a handful of trees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and some people actually did bring in and throw away more than one tree. And a couple of people went dumpster diving as well. I did say that. Oh, yeah. I did say they could keep the pots. Uh, the trees. Uh, no, the trees. Uh, and there's another phrase I've got that comes back from uh, where I lived in England. It, it, over the fence. Oh, there's a, oh yeah. There's a, a type of tree that's, that's known as an over the fence tree. Uh, because that's where I used to throw all my junk material into this. There was a, a, a way leave under some power cables and all the local folks would go out there to light their bonfires and so on. So I just threw the junk trees over the fence. <laughs> and I do the same here as well. I've got a deer fence around the growing area. So junk trees, I just throw them over there. We have a big event in the San Francisco Bay Area where people bring their own trees and it's where a lot of mediocre is too strong a word material changes hands and i've right. always thought how glorious it would be if they thought of it more as a gun buyback program and they just simply destroyed all of these trees and took them <laughs> off the market <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful I, I i do agree with you there it's um, an interesting idea like for a bonsai the... organization to take trees <laughs> off the it street. is it is it's rather like the, um, the club oh, raffle no. thing. Yeah, you know exactly. Gun, yeah, it it's, should be a Russian roulette. Is what it should be. Yeah, you know this tree is crap. Why are you going to lumber some other poor devil with it? It's just that's right. It's wrong. It's, it's and you're going to totally take wrong. it home and you're going to work on it. It'll take you away from other projects. Yeah, yeah, better, better projects. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. So speaking of better, one, yeah. uh huh. The the other one is. The concept of um, workshop trees. Oh, I always, I've always advised people never go to a material supplied workshop unless you know the material. You know, uh, it does depend who's organising it. Um, but generally speaking, in in clubland, in nursery land, uh, workshop trees are trees that a nursery can't sell any other way. Yep. Hmm. And those, these aren't much good. They'll be all right at workshop trees. And yeah. that, to me, yeah. is a dreadful thing to say. Yeah. You're yeah. getting these, these, these well-meaning, enthusiastic people. They're excited to come to a workshop and learn something about bonsai. <laughs> and, and you set the bar as low as you can. You, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. giving something you, you know is crap. They're never going to make a good bonsai. Yeah. And it's, it's a rip-off. Um, yeah. So... Uh, that's the advice I give to uh, as far as material supplied workshops. Yeah. Unless you um, have seen the trees beforehand or can yeah, select I mean, the trees. I have yeah. done some. Yeah. I did some down in uh, one down in Cincinnati a number of years back. I had a whole bunch of money to spend. So, but I mm -hmm. bought some Mugo pines. Um, there were a dozen of them. I took every single one of them. I, I made notes and used little colored pipe cleaners for everyone, worked out what was going to happen, the design and everything, did a quick drawing of, of how each one would look. And that's the material that I supplied to the workshop. Hmm. You know, I vetted every single one to make sure that it could and would make a decent tree. Hmm. Nice. So that's a little bit different from, I can't sell this stuff any other way, let's put it in a workshop. And... I've got to tell you guys, when I first came over to work, I went up and down. I'm not going to name names, 
but I went up and down the eastern side of the United States. Everywhere I went, little old ladies would bring in a little plastic tray with some seedlings in it, saying, yeah, I did this in a workshop with so-and-so. Um, don't know what to do next. And it was heartbreaking. Mm. You know, mm. there, was, there was no thought of to how the seedlings were arranged or planted. They were all the same size. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's that, that, that's, that was just horrible. That's just horrible. Yeah, and that, that's really one of the big problems that I see anywhere in workshops is that it's, it's kind of a one-off and then people take it home and then development stalls out. There's no further direction. Yeah. It's one of the, uh, I think some of that's changing because some of our, our teachers are saying, okay, I'm, you know, I want to come out three times a year and we're going to see the same tree again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And that's of course a different story, but, but we've all, uh, we're all familiar with the workshop model that you just uh, described. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it's going to improve, but there will always be that kind of level of operation. Yeah. It's not going to go away. Yeah. Progress um, is an erratic process. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, that, that level of operation will always stay. Um, the other demographic uh, is, is going to grow and spread and, and bonsai is going to become more established in the, uh, amongst those who have got a bit more disposable income. Um, it's a whole bunch of people in the middle. So I, I want to see improve. I want their lot to improve. They're the ones who are, who could become, um, you know, talented movers and shapers and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of potential in a, in the good dedicated hobbyists in this country. Yeah, they're out and there. There's a lot of them. They are, they are. Um, and they, in some cases, they, they kind of lack uh, focused instruction, focused coaching. Yeah, yeah. You really uh, seem, uh, it, in all your comments here today, I've been so impressed. You, you seem to be kind of swinging for the, the bonsai middle class. I like this. Um, and and I, I was just wondering if you had, um, if, if you had any, uh, I don't know, uh, dreams that, 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 that are part of that or, or philosophy or... Um, Anything along uh, something that hasn't happened yet in the bonsai community that you could, you could. See. <sighs> I mean, you've already given us a lot. <laughs> I mean, that. Yeah, I, I, it's just. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know, sometimes I just despair. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Pro- probably, <laughs> probably because progress is slow. Yes. Um, progress in, in in this country has always been slower than on the other side of the pond. Mm. Uh, it's it's it's. There's a number of reasons, and, and if you got to, yeah. you know, we, it's going to get political and all sorts if, if we start talking about things like that. But it's progress is yeah. slower. The, the the nation is designed to think very carefully before change, and mm. uh, it mm-hmm. is resistant to change. Um, and once you have, um, uh, hmm. now I don't want to get political. No, no worries. We, uh, can, we can cut any of this out. No worries. <laughs> no worries at all. <laughs> well, once yeah. you get to a situation where a whole bunch of people believe that they are the best in the world, they cease trying. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And back in the late 70s and the 80s and early 90s, 
American bonsai people uh, did think that American bonsai was the best in the world. Wow. I mean, it had it had all the magazines. It had all the magazines. Okay. Okay. BCI, and uh, we used to get all. You know, every year there'd be an an American star or a European show. Um, Every second year, it was Chase Rosade, and you know, it's it. um, People stop trying when they think that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think some of that changed for Europe when, let's see, Bonsai Today, wasn't that originally in Spanish and then it was translated into English or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it went from Japanese yeah. to Spanish and then Spanish to English. That's right. Jorge Penalba. Editorial oh. Tiris. Um, mm-hmm. Bought the rights, the translation rights. Uh, everything apart, globally apart from Chinese, from um, the Japanese publishers. Right. And when was that? Uh, what, was oh, that early 80s? That or? would have been, I'll tell you what, that was 1988. Sorry. Oh, late 80s. Okay. All right. Yeah. 1988. Okay. That, that happened at the same time I launched my magazine in England, ah. which later became Bonsai Focus through a whole right. series of various steps. Right. Um, right. The, um, but Bonsai today, yeah. And then it, um, Oh, I forget the guy's name who picked it up originally was from Massachusetts. John Palmer, right? John Palmer. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then the French picked up their version. They, I think they still do have a, a – they're still running it, they, I think. They do. Mm-hmm. I believe so. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what happened to it here. I think uh, briefly, I think Wayne Shea of Stone Lantern Wayne, picked it yeah. up. Yeah. But he stopped too much. I, yes, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Much, but. He's got kind of a, a an online uh, newsletter. Yeah. And uh, the, I'm wondering whether the printed media has got that long of future now anyway. Hmm. Hmm. But you, you think that the media has had a, a big effect on, on, uh, what the, the community perception of themselves is that is that sort of what you're you're getting at? Um, I'm not sure it has. Hmm. I'm not, well, <laughs> one does read comments here and there about uh, <laughs> the people who who contribute to some of the the, the more popular magazines. You know, hmm. how many are there? One. Um, you know, they're regarded as being elitist and, and so on, but yeah. it, it, uh, that's, just, that's just folks. But no, I, I think one, one advantage, I, I think everyone should su- subscribe to Bonsai, to Bonsai Focus. Hmm. Uh, if only just to see what other people are doing. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, it's it's always useful to see that. Mm-hmm. And there is much more creative imagery coming out of Europe than there is yeah. from the eastern half of the United States. Right, right. Yeah. I keep yeah. saying this. It is two different countries as far it, as It's pretty amazing. Concerned. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. remarkable. And actually, you know, you can hear some people argue, well, you can find all that online. But the thing is that, you know, when you have a periodical like that, somebody sitting down and having to curate it and think hard 
and uh, you know, Bonsai Focus is a great example of, of of a team that have done that for a long time. I think the German publication Bonsai Art is another one. They they kind yeah, of have yeah. proprietary um, uh, uh, articles. They 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 don't just translate. Um, they, oh no, they, they're that's yeah. a really interesting. I think, uh, I, I wish think I knew Bonsai German better. <laughs> it's pretty I good. Think Bonsai Art is is not, I think it it was at least run by the German club, the German national organization. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure if it still is or not. I don't see why it wouldn't be. Hmm. Uh, but no, in fact, when I launched, I launched mine in 1989. Hmm. And unlike all the other magazines, I paid contributors. I paid them £40 sterling a page, which at oh, today's wow. exchange rate would be about 50 That's... bucks, 55 bucks a page. Wow, yeah. And it was the, the first and only Bonsai magazine to pay its contributors. Good for you. Yeah. But that meant that I could make demands. Mm. I, could, mm -hmm. I, could, you know, mm -hmm. I could edit things. I mean, I'm in control. Yeah. To, be, to be dependent on people feeling like writing an article and send it off yeah. is, 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 is just a way to ruin. Um, and I did get some pretty good articles at some point. Uh, I bet. But that yeah. magazine lasted a year. Mm. Uh, we had a, a clinically insane, and I mean, I mean that literally, uh, <laughs> oh, Prime dear. Minister called Margaret Thatcher. Um, <laughs> no, really, she, 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 she was kicked out by her own party uh, for being insane, basically. Oh, wow. Uh, but anyway, um, mustn't get political. Uh, she caused, she right. caused her, her second yeah. recession, which <sighs> threw me into tailspin as far as funding the magazine was concerned because I'd, I spent uh, all the launch money and I needed and had secured previously when I launched oh, it, a bridging loan to cover the production of the first issue of the next year to get oh. all the subscription money back and oh. then get the advertising revenue, which, which is always delayed by three or four months. That was really um, bad timing then. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. So I go into the yeah. bank and I said, uh, can I be alone now, please? He said, no. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? You, 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 no, you changed your mind. Oh. So his office, the manager's office was in one of these steel partition things you know with a little um obscure glass panels or plastic in them and they had one of those uh, boards with the exchange rates the little numbers that you push into slots on a black velvet background and that was on the wall and i walked out of his office and i slammed the door so hard that all those numbers went flying across the bank floor <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! And that threw me into tailspin. So the magazine was was it was picked up by a company that published a a butcher's magazine, oh. who, who started having another typo, <laughs> and they kept it they, they kept it going for a few years with me sort of editing oh, wow. and consulting. Yeah, and then they <laughs> sold it on to uh, Remy Rooswinkle oh. and Farron they combined it with their Dutch magazine and it became Bonsai Today. So uh, that's the story behind that one. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what a kick. 
Wow. I, I'm pretty good at startups like that. You know, yeah. I'll start magazines, I'll start businesses. I've started dozens of enterprises. Don't ask me to keep it going because wow. then I lose interest. <laughs> Completely lose interest. <laughs> you know. Good wow. to know that. But yeah. Yeah. Wow, that was quite a history. My gosh. <laughs> oh, there's lots. <laughs> but any story you want to tell any great <laughs> history <laughs> um none and of it is really fit for the public ear <laughs> well those are the best <laughs> the one story i wanted to know a little more about is uh that tree you showed or the uh, display oh, you put yes. together at the uh, 2016 national exhibition yes, the, the colorado right. spruce yes, yes. Tell the Tell listeners the story about what that whole composition was and how it came together. Well, yeah, that kind of that went over either over most people, most people's heads or under the radar or something. But um, there was a scroll on the wall that said Renaissance, which, as well as being not Renaissance, as in the, the artistic movement, but Renaissance, as in the poem by Edna, what's her name, Millet. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it means a, re um, a, a rebirth, a reuse, uh, a repurposing. And everything on that display was repurposed. Mm. Uh, except for the pot. I mean, the tree clearly was repurposed. Um, the stand was made out of some old decayed driftwood. Uh, the... Uh, the, the companion piece, if I remember rightly, was a, it was an old bronze suey barn mm -hmm. with an old uh, a tree stump that had just been moss-covered in uh, standing in, I can't remember what was around it now. Ash, it's I the, think. It's the big yeah. moss-covered. Uh... The big, yeah, the moss-covered thing, the moss-covered yeah. tree stump. And mm -hmm. it was just sort of um, mm -hmm. death becoming life repurposing you know oh it's wonderful to have that kind of you know intentionality uh, that threads through all the elements of a of a bonsai display or any yeah, work it, of art it, maybe it, even if looking at it myself you know i would have gotten it but but it, no, it but but it holds it together been, it yeah it would have been yeah. better if it had been more accessible you know um, <laughs> i don't know <laughs> well, what I people hung on to uh, is the pot the pot yes, got a lot of attention <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's the buddy Dan Barton. Yes, I looked at that root, and I, this root's got to come off. How am I going to carve that? I go, no, I don't want it. It was just too good to to take <laughs> off. And I thought, well, yeah, okay. Well, the only person I know who would latch onto the idea and who could make a pot that big um, was Dan. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took some measurements, you know, the dimensions of the pot, the position of the hole, how big the hole should be, sent those over to him. And um, he came up with the idea of, uh, I, I wanted the blue glaze on the inside so it looked as if there was water coming out of the split. Mm. And he came up with the idea of, of making a little puddle of the same blue glaze to put mm -hmm. underneath that so it looked like it was dripping down. Hmm. Oh, cool, Dan. So uh, the only person <laughs> I know who could make a pot like that. But I did get furious with him because I said, look, Dan, when you, when you fill out the customs document, 
I say it's worth 200 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> he put the full price of 800 on it. Did I get clobbered for duty? Hey, hey, hey. But anyway, it was worth it. Oh, it gosh, yeah. There were many, many people commented on that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a major piece uh, in that the show. Only, the only thing, the only problem with that pot is if the tree dies, we're going to do it with a pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tell yeah. a good story. Yeah, and, and that this sort of, you know, the thing that we, we, we chat about a lot, this sort of one, uh, one, uh, uh, one with the pot, you know, the tree being part of the pot, that, that takes it to a whole other level. The, yeah, you know, yeah. Moss but you know what? I'm going to let you into a secret. That is one of my least favorite trees. Ah. I mean, it's one of my most because of the combination of tree and pot. That's put that aside. The tree itself is one of my least favorite. Huh. It was so darned easy. <laughs> ah, you like it. And a you fight. know what? It okay. is exactly the shape of tree that I was raining against earlier. Ah. Huh. You yeah. know, it's it, it's a green dome. Mm. Um, and it's in the process okay. now of being thinned out so there's more space in there and, and so okay. on. But yeah. Uh, it was it was easy, hmm. you know. It, the, the trunk was what it was. Um, hmm. The branch. I used some pretty sort of hairy techniques, you know, cutting wedges out of two hundred year old branches to bend them around and so on. But I knew that would work, so that's not a hmm. problem. So you find um, you, you you get a bit of a charge out of or 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 do you um, do do you, do you relate better to, to to work that you've had to kind of fight your way toward a solution? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Much okay. more rewarding. Much yeah. more. And I very frequently change my mind. I've got a Scott's spine at the moment that I've spent quite a few seasons grafting on some bits at the top. And uh, hmm. it had a, a fairly dominant low branch as well. And this spring, I was just looking at this thing, and I, it's too tall. Too much space between the top and the low branch. So I just cut the top off. And it's going to be a better tree for it. I've had a borer do that before. Yeah. Quite without my permission. (laughs) Yes. I've been kind of fortunate with those. Uh, Oh, good. Good, good, good. I did did have one uh, flathead borer in a birch a couple Mm. of years ago, but I managed to find him and get him out of there before I fed him to the ants. That was wonderful oh. to watch. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Oh, I'm vicious. They were looking up at me saying, Oh, thanks buddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we're getting a very different image of you. When we started this, I think we were, <laughs> we were not recording at this point, but you had trundled off to get a cup of tea and you sounded oh, very, very civilized when we started this. Well, yeah, it's more Lord of the Flies. Well, <laughs> the flies. Yeah, what else are you going to do with it? <laughs> yeah, it's a flathead borer. You know, you feed it to the ants or you step on it. What do you know? A... I'm not very uncivilized. Um, no, I've been lucky as far as that's concerned. The main issues around here are fungus yeah. and bugs. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was infested with Japanese beetles. And I managed yeah. to get rid of those. I got rid of all the, the turf grass on the, on the property. 
Mm. Hung traps out for four years, and but by the end mm. of that four years, I was catching like one or two a season, mm. as opposed to filling up you know, three bags yeah. per station. And they love the Chinese um, elms too, don't they? Or any kind of elm. They, they just, oh, it seems to be like a candy store. They will. Oh. They seem to choose a, a species and then stick with that for the year. Um, I've oh, had them on they a rotate. lot. <laughs> Yeah, wow. they seem to. Really? I've, I've, one, yeah, one year they're, they're all over Malarch, and the oh. next year they're all over the Elm, and next year they're all over the Maple. It's, uh, what happens is the male emerges first and finds a food plant, and then he sends out his little pheromone signals to attract the females. But the other males also pick up on his pheromone signals, and that's where there's a food plant, so they sort of home in on the same thing. I knew this was going to get exciting. Wow. And I, yeah. I managed to eradicate those. Oh. Oh, gosh, back in 2012, 2013. And then last year, there was a house built on a neighboring lot, and they installed a massive lawn. And this year, I've been finding those Japanese beetles again. So hmm. uh, nothing I can do about that massive lawn. But uh, yeah. Yeah. start trapping again. Right. <laughs> and they're a devil to catch, you know. The Japanese beetles, you, they, they have this amazing ability to burrow really quickly. So you go to pick one mm. off a plant and you, you, you miss it and it drops. And you see it hit the, the top of the pot, you see it hit the soil on the pot, and then you go down to look for it and it's gone. Huh. It's wow. gone. <laughs> uh, the only thing you can do is to be really quick. You grab it and squish it. Same time, and your fingers get covered with this brown, <laughs> slimy stuff. And it's but it's not nice, but you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah, I had a very different opinion about Japanese or Asian beetles when I saw the damage they could do to trees in Japan, and it just kind of forever cured me of having any desire to work on trees that might have that problem. Yeah, what what do they do about it in Japan? Shogunai, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. They couldn't spray as much as they can. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, yeah, they, they lots mm -hmm. of spray. They, they lots of spray. I think that's a short yeah. answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's brutal because people that live surrounded by a natural forest. I've been in gardens where mm -hmm. just the trees were horribly attacked, and a single Japanese maple would have five wounds in fall about the size of my middle fingers at the base of the trunk and oh, you start gosh. seeing sawdust on the surface of the soil and you just don't want to see that because you know something really bad like out of a movie bad is going to appear pretty soon <laughs> yep <laughs> yep yeah yeah no good the other thing the other problem we've got here is um there's a moth that lays its eggs on the needles of, of pines uh, there's little green lava oh yes and they come out hundreds and hundreds of other things and they'll strip one shoot of needles yeah. then move on to another one and strip yep. that they all they follow each other right and the last three years i've i had a, a really impressive jagged looking pitch pine in the landscape i cut that down yesterday oh because there's virtually nothing left of it now. They've, oh. they've devoured that over the last three years. Oh, and I gosh. caught some uh, yesterday on a, a Scotch pine I'm developing. 
Uh, and they're hard to spot as well. They're the same colour as the yes. needles, you know. Yep. yep. And by the time you see them, they've done the damage. Right. And some of them yeah. are stripey. They have uh, they they look like stomata bands. <laughs> you know, the oh, they're green, perfect. Yeah, the the white. Yeah, yeah, they're absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think that, um, or in these, uh, there are some that have got black spots on that are the males, and the ones without the black spots are the females. I think. Not that that makes any difference. They all get cut off and thrown in the fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing's done more damage to my garden than caterpillars the last few years. It's mm. I, I've started spraying more and more prophylactically for them. Mm. Yeah, and caterpillars are hard to prevent. They are. Uh, yep. Well, it's not yeah. that bad to. There's a couple of sprays that are effective, but they only work when they eat treated material. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, right. Right. You want to stop them eating it. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I sprayed everything with neem oil the other day to, to mm -hmm. see if that deters the Japanese beetles, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's a bit early to tell yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jonas, did you have any last questions? Or, uh, you know, I got more than I bargained for. Yeah. We heard, I think we <laughs> okay. heard all the things today. That was pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got Excellent. some editing to do there. <laughs> do, do you have any uh, final thoughts? Some, anything we didn't get to that you were dying to tell us? Yeah, are things just, that you see going on today that you're excited about? Yeah. Um, I don't see much that's going on today, you know that? I abandoned mm. Facebook at the end of last year. Oh, bravo. Uh, I, I just got sick oh. of all the junk, you know, and the, yeah. uh, finding things out about people that I thought were friends and finding out that they're not the people I thought they were. You know, you, you know that. You've, you've seen all this happening on Facebook. So I, I just get off it. So the world now depends on Facebook for communication. So, uh, I, you know, uh, I don't know what's going on. How weird is that? Mm. <laughs> it shouldn't be that weird if you're in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually true. <laughs> that is actually true. Yeah, Maine is a Maine's like another country as well. You know what I like about Maine <laughs> is the sense of community. Hmm. I've, I've I've never experienced living anywhere where there is such a sense of community. Hmm. When I first came up here, people. They saw I had a Massachusetts license plate. And, you know, if I was driving home from the local Burger King or something after dark, they'd throw coffee cups at the car and things like that. Uh, <laughs> That's worse than what when I do used to Californians. Wow. Yeah. And then when I used to get, um, you know, people around like, you know, roofers and people because the house needed some attention, they'd give me these outrageous prices. And then Lena you know, said, How long are you here for? I said, What do you mean? I live here. He said, What, year round? I said, yeah. And the price goes down. Oh. 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 Yeah. Uh, wow. it, there's, there's that kind of thing. Um, it's, it, there is a tremendous state of, of, of community. Everyone pulls together. Hmm. You know, winters are so harsh that hmm. you're all in the same boat. Different kind of state. Different kind of state. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And it's also one of the, it's the second safest as well as far as the pandemic's concerned, which uh, 
Oh, pleases true. me no end. Oh, well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. This was yeah, a lot pleasure. of fun. Yeah, I enjoyed talking excellent. to people. Thanks for don't often get a chance to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> Delighted to enable you. <laughs> yeah. no, it's good talking to you guys. Great. Keep up the good work. Keep up the Thank good work. Oh, we'll attempt that. We'll do. Good stuff. All great. Right. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks Pleasure. a lot. Take Bye. care. Bye. Music on today's podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. Remember, if he's English, the T is mandatory, but the comfort is secondary. <laughs> well, yeah, but, you know, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get out of bed in a minute. <laughs> <laughs>